This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I'm delighted to welcome Natalie Nixon to the show. Natalie is going to talk about creative competency and why we should make it a priority for our businesses. Natalie, welcome. I'm really excited to dive into a delicious conversation about this topic with you today. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, it's really interesting. When I mentioned the word creativity, a lot of people default to artistic ability, and you believe something very different. So level the playing field for us and give us your definition of creativity. Sure. Um, I, I, like you, have, have observed that we will use language such as, I'm not a cre- creative type because I can't fill in the blank, sing, dance, paint, etc. And in fact, the way I define creativity is that it is our ability and our capacity to toggle between wonder and rigor to solve problems, period. So if you think about creativity in that way, then you soon realize to be an incredible engineer, scientist, entrepreneur, farmer, teacher, plumber, you've got to be super creative. You've, you've got to, you, you have the capacity to be creative, right? That we're all, we are all hardwired to be creative, to toggle between wonder and rigor. It's just that artists are excellent at devoting the discipline and the time and making space for both the wonder and the rigor. And wonder is about awe, audacity, asking big blue sky questions, as well as pausing. Rigor is about incessant practice, skill development, and time on task. And both are really important. But what's happened is, as you've just referenced, we tend to ghettoize creativity in the arts. And that's not fair to artists, and it's not beneficial to our society at large. And you believe that creativity is really vital to navigating complexity, especially in the business world, which is not always what we think of, right? Often we we default to that linear approach in business. So how did you come to this? It, was it a personal experience? Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. So, you know, in, in our businesses, we are constantly trying to innovate. Um, the truth of the matter is that creativity is the engine for innovation. And the way I, I, I came to this realization that creativity is where we actually need to start was um, really from all of my consulting work with corporate clients who were hiring me to help them build cultures of innovation. And what I was actually seeing was a lot of innovation churn. Some of my colleagues call that innovation theater, <laughs> um, but I, I, I just saw them churning and, and they were often mistaking rigidity for rigor. And there was absolutely no time or space for the wonder. So running from meeting to meeting, uh, falling in love with the solution instead of falling in love with process and not um, being afraid of uh, being afraid of ambiguity, right? Always wanting uh, clarity as, as the default. So I actually, before I wrote the book, The Creativity Leap, I developed a, a card game called the Wonder Rigor Discovery Deck, which is, is now available for, for people to, to purchase if they wish. But I really started the card game as a tool for my clients, because when we play, things stick. And the whole purpose of the card game of the game is through a series of question prompts 
to help people identify how much more wonder, how much more rigor they need to start to integrate into their team, into their problem-solving process in order to finally innovate. And I'm so grateful that you really focus on the process. You know, of course, the outcome is, is wonderful, right? And that's a terrific reward. But the process can be so delicious, right? To, to really just yes. savor that experience. So thank you for, for shining a spotlight on that. But let's get to it. I, I'm sure we've got listeners all over the world saying, okay, this is good in theory. But you know, how do I hone that? How do I really um, unearth that creativity? Because I'm not used to thinking that way. So where do they start? Well, um, it, the, the point is just to start. So oftentimes people will ask me, do I, should I start first with wonder or should I start yeah. first with rigor? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so there's two corollaries to my creativity framework. One is that wonder is found in the midst of rigor. In other words, Whatever for you is a rigorous process. So for me, it's filing my taxes. It's maybe doing a ginormous Excel sheet. It's often in those moments of rigorous work where a moment of wonder will will come for me, where an idea will emerge, will pop into my head. It actually isn't popping into my head. It's been there. I'm just finally still in a way that that's allowing it to emerge. So wonder is often found in the midst of, of rigor. The corollary to that is that rigor cannot be sustained without wonder. So with that innovation churn that I referenced earlier, um, it's not sustainable. People will burn out. So it wasn't enough for me to only say uh, to my clients and in, in the book that creativity is toggling between wonder and rigor to solve problems. The other component of my creativity framework is something I call the three eyes. And the three eyes are the ways that we can exercise this toggling back and forth between wonder and rigor. It involves inquiry, improvisation, and intuition. Inquiry is about being curious, asking a different question, because if we keep asking the same questions, we're going to end up with the same results. That's one of the reasons why cognitive diversity is essential and any sort of collaborative creative endeavor towards the end of innovation. So for businesses, they can start hiring for in, in kind of unsuspected areas. If you typically hire from X sorts of schools or people only under age 40, start to mix that up, right? So that's, that's one way to start building in um, curiosity because when we have to go through acts of translation, of explaining the ways we've always done things, that that bears more questions. We also could, could stand more leaders who model inquiry-based leadership, who aren't afraid to ask really big, audacious questions and challenge the status quo. The way we can be more improvisational has less to do with being able to do a really good jazz riff solo um, or to be a really uh, good comedic improviser like we see on Saturday Night Live, but being improvisational is about being adaptive, actively listening, saying yes and, and being all about the build of ideas rather than saying, yeah, but we tried that 10 years ago and it didn't work, right? So being improvisational really is essential and is totally possible in our organization. So a company like the Ritz-Carlton is actually an incredibly improvisational organization, and they have embedded in their work culture, simple, fluid structures. We need Improvisation is not about doing whatever you feel like. There are rules, but there are rules existing so that we can push up against the boundaries. And finally, 
intuition is about pattern recognition. I interviewed over 50 people for the creativity leap and it was intuition is something that I kind of tripped over when I used to be a professor. I started this strategic design MBA program. My professional network was increasingly including startup leaders. And I started observing in their origin stories, there was always a moment when they would say, something told me not to do the deal Mm. or something told me to work with her over him. And I thought, I think that something is intuition. I believe intuition is a type of pattern recognition. And as I developed my framework and my research, I quickly learned that to a successful leader, they all embrace and credit their intuition, this internal antenna for pattern recognition for decision-making. So the three eyes, inquiry, improv, and intuition are the ways that we can exercise creativity. Natalie will be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Natalie, you and I were chatting before the show started about uh, the reality that we're um, even deeper into this global pandemic, right? It's uh, fall of 2020 and we're, we're easing into our seventh month. And you write in the book about how this is, regardless of the, the pandemic, uh, creativity allows us to address complex and ambiguous terrain. But isn't it interesting that it's relevant to what's happening in our world today? Can you speak about that complexity and how we can use creativity to navigate that. Absolutely. I, I've been you know, referring to this time as we are going through a triple pandemic that includes this global health pandemic of COVID-19, as well as the social justice protests that, that are have emerged over the summertime around systemic racism in the United States. The third part of this triple pandemic is unsustainability of our earth. We in the United States are witnessing atrocious forest fires um, just gone berserk in in, in yeah. the northwestern part of the country. So um, the the truth of the matter is the ways that we will navigate uncertainty and complex terrain is with complexity. I call it the chewing gum method. In other words, if you are walking down the street and you accidentally step into a wad of chewing gum, or if you get some chewing gum stuck on your skin, the best way to remove chewing gum is with more chewing gum. So similarly, Mm -hmm. the best way to navigate uncertainty and complexity is with a complex system, which is creativity. Creativity is a complex system. More specifically, it is a chaotic system. And the word chaord, C-H-A-O-R-D, is a word that D. Hock made up. And D. Hock was the first president of Visa, the credit card company, those credit cards that we have in our wallets. And he was very attuned to nature. He was a big naturalist. And when he was named as head of Visa, he thought, hmm, how might I lead an organization that mimics nature more than these boxes and arrows that we always try to represent as our organizations? Because organizations, after all, are organisms. So what if I could design an organization 
that had a bit of chaos that I see in nature, as well as order. That, that, that's the, the root of chaord. Now, keep in mind that chaos is not anarchy. Chaos is randomness. And order is not control. Order is structure. So you can see how I've been influenced by this, this idea that from, from complexity theory and chaos theory of chaotic systems um, in the ways that I'm defining creativity, right? As toggling between the wonder, which is kind of the chaos part, and the rigor, which is the order part. So the best ways that are, are we as, as citizens in our society, as, that, that our leaders can, can really cultivate now, that we can cultivate in, in our children, um, in our learning environments, is creativity. And we can stop ghettoizing it in the arts and realize that if we start to look at it as toggling between wonder and rigor, there are opportunities abounding throughout the day in formal and informal ways to really hone creativity. So something that I picked up in your book that just resonated with me and and really uh, made me smile was the payoff of giving employees time and space for daydreaming. So I know what the, I know what that means to me, but I want to honor you as the author here. Tell our audience, what do you mean by that? Well, it really stems from a habit of mine that I've had since I was a little girl. Um, you know, I, I say I write about in the book how as a first, second grader, report cards were always coming in to my parents that I was doing quite fine, but I had this propensity to daydream a bit too much out the window. And so I jokingly call myself a mighty daydreamer. And what I now know is that the neuroscience of creativity totally backs up the time that we can set aside to daydream. So to this day, I literally take daydreaming breaks. And sometimes um, they might be 90 seconds long. I have a timer. You know, we all have these, these, these smartphones, these smart devices. So you totally have access to ways to build in the constraint and the rigor around this moment of wonder. So I sometimes they're 90 seconds long, sometimes they're five minutes long. And what is always consistently amazing to me is as I let my mind wander, just you know, looking at clouds make their way across the sky or watching an ant crawl or watching a dew drop on leaves in the morning time, when I return to my work, I come back completely refreshed because if we only are allowing our the neural synapses of our brains to be working in that frontal lobe and not allowing, um, again, using this word toggle, to migrate to other domains of the brain, we're actually not allowing our, our ideas to, now this is not scientific language, this is my, these are my words, we're not allowing our ideas to marinate and actually emerge. And that's one of the reasons why we have these shower moments, some of their best ideas come when we're just um, waking up from a deep sleep. So it's really important to, to daydream. I love that. And, and it, it reminds me of uh, any kind of practice that we ritualize, right? Whether it's a yoga practice or an exercise practice or just getting good sleep and health and nutrition, we need to honor our brains in how they have creativity time, right? And, and that clarity and that space um, so we can open up the room for ideas. That's just me riffing there, but I, you know, that's what I get out of that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, keep in mind again, that even the, the time that we're giving for deep thought and focus and concentration, what I would call rigor 
is equally important. I, you know, I referenced before the corollaries of creativity that rigor is, is, it cannot be sustained without wonder and wonder is found in the midst of creativity. Both are really essential. And um, we often are confusing rigidity for rigor, right? That they are not the same thing. Yeah. Now you have been successfully helping organizations create cultures of innovation for a long time. And and your book is such a a beautiful tool. What's the step that, you know, someone listening around the world might take to just give themselves a place to ponder creativity and and how it might impact them in their work? Well, one of the things that I, I ensured that I incorporated into the book were tips at the end of each chapter. So each chapter ends with a, a a tip for wonder and rigor for individuals as well as for an organization. Um, you know, an extension of what I had just been writing about in that previous chapter. Um, but I really like your the reference you just made to ritual, especially in this time of COVID nineteen. A lot of what has taken us for a loop as we've been working from home is that we have an opportunity now to redesign our relationship with time. And the truth of the matter is we always had that opportunity, but we, again, we're on this working churn. We get up, get on the train, get on a commute to work and pick up our coffee and go from meeting to meeting, et cetera. Um, and what we're actually now seeing is that we feel like it's been groundhog day every single morning yeah. because we have, we need to read, we need to redesign new rituals. So everything from um, figuring out what for you is a wonder is a wonder ritual that that will help you to build in more time for awe or pausing um, or or audacity. Getting better at asking new and different questions. For example, you could try this. Um, one of the things I learned from Warren Berger, who is the author of A More Beautiful Question, is that. In his work, he found that the most innovative organizations lead with inquiry. They tend to start out by Mm -hmm. asking why. They then ask what if, so they diverge even further, and then they converge into how. So they might start by asking, well, why have we never sold to the Southern Hemisphere? Why not? What if we started selling to the Brazilian market? And then how might we do that, right? So it's, it's, Diverge, diverge, and converge. So that's one way we can we can start building a practice of curiosity. Um, one way to build more curiosity into your work in your life is to read more fiction. Another way mm. is to ensure that you surround yourself with people who think differently from you, who have different training, because they will pose new questions that you would have never considered. Um, so those are just a few ways that we can do that. And similarly. Um, we can also in, in, institute more rigor by, you know, I, for example, since March started a new morning ritual that requires me to be asleep by 10, be awake at 6 a.m. And then um, between 6 and 7, I do my morning ablutions. I pray, meditate, write in a gratitude journal and stretch my body. And then I'm ready for the day. And I have to tell you for as many mornings as I, as I hit snooze, when I complete my ritual, it's much more of a promise that I've kept to myself that I feel really proud nice. of. Yeah. So, so those are, those are some of the things. And the, uh, one, one last tip uh, is become a clumsy student of something. And um, I, while I studied dance since age four, I'm now a clumsy student of the tango and the foxtrot. It gives me a great sense of humor about myself. 
And I certainly practice the three eyes of inquiry, improv, and intuition. I love that term, clumsy student. I really do, because it gives yourself permission and space and grace to just enjoy it and not take it so seriously, but also just have fun, right? Absolutely. Natalie, I have learned so much from you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I want to tell our global listening audience about your book. It's called The Creativity Leap, Unleash Curiosity, Improvisation, and Intuition at Work. And of course, it's available on Amazon and at all major book retailers. Natalie, I wish you continued success. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that you shared your wisdom and expertise with this audience today. Caroline, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Take good care. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new audience members find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can always find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. A special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening. Whoa, whoa.